So today is last Sunday of Lent before Easter, and so we are going to wrap up our series, Tales from the Cross, where we look at Jesus's death and resurrection through different lenses. Today, we are, the lens we're going to look at, that's popping weirdly, isn't it? The, the lens we're going to look at is God, God the Father. And so before we jump in, I just want to highlight this one will be the most speculative because we can't really relate to God one-to-one, right? Everyone else we've looked at has been a person. So we've been able to relate to, okay, I understand these emotions, I understand this. God's a little different. God, we're not one-to-one with God, right? That makes sense. So this is going to be the most speculative of things. But I think there's a lot of good stuff in it for us. And also, we're not going to dive into the weeds of things because this is a whole area of theology that you can get completely lost in. I felt, and I'll kind of talk about one later, but I fell down a couple rabbit holes of like online forums arguing one thing versus the other about kind of this kind of topic. So we're going to stay fairly surface in it and how God's emotions, feelings could relate to us. So that, that's kind of where we're going to stick. So I just kind of want to lay that out up front. So the first thing we need to identify is Jesus and God's relationship. That's kind of what we've been doing, is we would look at these different perspectives. How did this person relate to Jesus? And so with God, again, kind of complicated, because the Trinity, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Trinity, all one. We're going to talk a lot more about the Trinity in a couple weeks, but the short of it is all three, we're going to focus on God and Jesus right now, but are what's called co-eternal, they've always been, and equal. So God the Father is not above Jesus. Jesus is not above God the Father. They're all equal. Jesus sums this up really well, I think, in John when he says, I and the Father are one. So really hitting at this idea that you cannot be closer than God and Jesus are. They are one. They have always been together. They have never, until Jesus' death, had a time when they were separate. They were always one, always together. So, how does Jesus' death impact God? Well, before we get to that, we have to kind of look at God's view of sin. So to do that, let's jump to Isaiah real quick. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 59. Uh, This is Isaiah talking to the people as a whole. It is your own crimes that that separate you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. For your hands are stained with blood, like your fingers with crime. Your lips speak lies, your tongues utter wicked things. No one sues with just cause, no one pleads honesty in court. They trust in empty words and say worthless things. They they conceive trouble and give birth to evil. So the first part of this verse really kind of sums up God's idea, God's view of sin. God cannot be near sin. Anytime sin would come near to God, it is destroyed. It gets burned up because sin just can't exist with God. So because of that, us with our sin, we can't really be near to God. If we do come near to God, we would get destroyed too. So this is why it talks about your own crimes have separated you from God. God has hidden his face from you. Meaning at this time, God was saying, if I come near you, if you come near me, 
you will be destroyed. I love you so much, I don't want to do that. So I'm removing myself from you. I am not going to be near you. So God's idea of sin is it cannot be near. If it comes near, it gets burned up, it gets destroyed, and anything associated with it gets destroyed as well. Bad news for us as a sinful people. So, how does Jesus' death address that? Well, jump to a different place in Isaiah. This is Isaiah talking to the people as a whole again. We all, like sheep, went astray. We turned each one to their own way, yet the Lord laid on him the guilt of us all. Him here prophetically referring to Jesus. So this is the idea that every single one of us has sin. There is absolutely nothing we can do to not have sin. It's stuck on us. No matter what we try, no matter how good we think we can be, it's not, we, we can't escape it. So God laid all of that sin, all of that guilt on Jesus. So, that's why Jesus goes to the cross. How does God react? How do we think? Because again, this is kind of, we have to kind of stay in the realm of speculation for the most part right now. How does we think God reacts? We, we have a little bit we can go from. Again in Isaiah. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render us himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their guilt. So toward the bottom here, we see this idea that Jesus is going to justify the many, will justify us, and will bear all of our guilt. All of our sin is placed on Jesus. And so it pleased the Lord to crush him. Now, this is another kind of rabbit hole argument I fell down of, what does this mean? What does it mean that it pleased the Lord to crush him? Is it God was pleased that Jesus would willingly do this? Was pleased that this sin was being taken care of, that we could now be with God? Or did it please God because in that moment when God looked at Jesus, all God saw was our sin. And you often say God doesn't hate anything. God hates sin. Not sinners, but sin. So did it please God because all he saw was sin and was able to destroy it? There's a lot here, right? So, how did God feel about Jesus' death? Pleased? For any of those number of reasons we talked about? To get rid of sin, the willingness, the being able to be reunited with us? Heartbroken? Because God is having to hurt the person was absolute closest person. Wrong word. You know what I mean when, when I say that. God and Jesus have been together for absolutely ever. God is going to be separate from Jesus for the next few days. 
first time ever they have not been together. God is watching someone who is with him, someone who is him, I and the Father are one, suffer and die. There's an old hymn that talks about, I'm not going to sing it, but it talks about when, you know, Jesus has been crucified, God turned his face away. And I, again, fell down, and I fell in a lot of rabbit holes this week of just like online discussions and forums about what does this mean? Why would God turn his face away here? Was it out of sadness? Was it, I can't watch what is being done to my son? I can't watch what is being done to Jesus? Was it disgust of what the people were doing to Jesus? Was it disgust of Jesus in that moment? Because in that moment, Jesus carried every sin ever committed. I think this is where us and our limited scope of emotions can really kind of be a tripping block for us. Because I think you could argue it's all of these emotions in equal measure. It's sadness. It's disgust. Pleasure. Heartbroken. The only example I could think of of this is kind of a dumb example, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to roll with it. So I coach track. Track has just started, you know, back up for the spring. It's fun. Um, when I used to run track, the relationship I would have with my competitors was interesting because when you, when you do a sport, when you excel at a sport, you sacrifice a ton to do it. You sacrifice a lot to try to be good at a sport. And very, very few people understand that, except the other people in it with you. Now, track is pretty much an individual sport. You, there's not a lot of team aspect to it. It is me, I, I, I was a sprinter, so it's me lining up, trying to beat everyone next to me. So some of the people I would encounter, I would see a couple times a year at meets. But because we had the shared camaraderie of, we know what it takes to excel in this sport. We became friends, because they were the only people who would understand kind of what it takes, what, what we go through. So you'd become amazing friends. You'd become very, very close. Before meets, you would go out to dinner with their families. You would meet them, be friends with them, you know, go to birthday parties with them. But the second you stepped on the track, we hated each other. We wanted to do everything possible to humiliate the person next to us. We wanted to win. So in those moments when you looked at the people next to you who you loved, they were your very good friends, all you saw was competition. All you saw was the person I want to crush for these next 10 seconds. As soon as you crossed the line, it would be, how did my friend do? If you won, it would be going back, kind of talk to, you know, commiserate and be like, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't run as well as you could or as you thought you were. If you lost, it would be congratulating your friend on winning. But it was a weird spot to be for those 10, 20 seconds in the middle of, this is someone I love, one of my best friends that I want nothing more to destroy right now. That's not the best analogy, but it's the closest I could think of to this, how do you hold these two things in tangent? When you look at someone and see, that's my really good friend but I kind of hate them right now. I want to beat them with everything I have right now. So you can hold 
both in tandem. I think it's a little bit of what was going on with God, having these wide array of emotions being held apart, being held at the same time. So the clip I showed at the beginning was a clip from the movie Infinity War. I'm going to show a little bit of it again, but I want to give a little bit of context for it. Do I have a slide for it? I do. So in this clip, you have, oh, come on, go back. Yep, you have, what? What are you doing? All right, so you have Lizzie Olsen here playing Wanda Maximoff. She shoots magic out of her hands. That's, that's the short of it. She shoots magic out of her hands. She, her partner, is, why do you keep doing that? Is this guy, the Vision. He's a space android, like, very simply, she's kind of a scary magic witch. He's an android robot. But they are partners. They are married. They are together. They are the thing that each other loves most in this world. Now, throughout, throughout this movie, the big purple guy you saw coming in, he's, he has to collect these stones. The last of which he needs is embedded, why do you hate me thing? is embedded in the Vision's head. It's the stone in his head. If the bad guy gets this last stone, he's going to kill half of the life in the universe in an instant. So the plan that they had in place completely fell apart. So these two realize the only way to stop him is to destroy the stone in his head. However, if you destroy the stone in his head, he dies too. That's what is powering him. That is what is basically giving him life. The only person that can destroy the stone is her. Through comic book logic, whatever, but the only way to destroy the stone is her. So now she is faced with a choice. I have to utterly destroy the person I love most to save everyone else. And what's more, this is, I'm not going to go too far down the nerd hole, but her power is driven by hate. So she has to muster all of the hate she has in her and direct it at the person she loves most to try to save everyone. So I want you to focus, I'm going to show a little bit of a truncated clip. Focus on her and just her emotions and everything kind of rolling through her head as this clip plays out. So online people, we're going to mute this again because I don't want Disney coming after me. So we'll be back in a second. So you can see those emotions played out on her face here. The sadness, the loss, anger, even a little bit of joy at we're saving everyone. All of those playing out. Now think about God and those emotions. It's weird to talk about God having emotions, but I there's a long argument you could go down that I think God has emotions. We are the reason for all of those feelings in that moment. God and Jesus chose to go through all of this because of us. Simply because we are loved. We are loved beyond all compare. God and Jesus willingly did this. Didn't have to. When sin entered the world, God very easily could have been like, well, 
humans 1.0 messed up, clear that out, start again. But didn't. God didn't. God chose to fix our mistake. Willingly gave his son. Jesus willingly went to fix the mistakes we made. So I want us to take a few moments and just sit with that. Sit with that love. We're going to take just two or three minutes. Sit and think about your relationship with Jesus right now, in this moment, this morning. Talk to your Savior. Reflect on the God who loves you. Reflect on the Savior who died for you. Talk to them right now. We'll take a few minutes. So as we enter into Holy Week, remember that love. Remember that grace. Remember that our Savior and our God did all of this for us. For all of us and for each and every one of us. If you were the only person that would have benefited from this, it still would have happened. Jesus still would have died. God still would have sent his son to die for each and every single one of us. Join me as we pray.